Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bengalis in New York show. My name is Arik, and uh, we were repping it for, you know, the Bronx, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, and all over the world. So welcome, and enjoy. So welcome to the Boney Podcast, Diario. I'm good. I mean, all things considered, exhausted. I know. And but, today is inauguration day. Did you watch? Yes, I did. I, I think it was the first time during our campaign that I actually took a bit of a break. And I watched because the last four years, as I'm sure for you, have just been like there was a sense of relief, but there was so much anger as well, right? Like the relief came from like finally being able to breathe and not having to wake up every single day to some news update that was horrifying, right? Like, I mean, I remember one of the first things that that he implemented was Muslim ban. And we all woke up and every person that worked was a lawyer was running to the airport trying to help people basically be able to just stay in this country. And the fact that today was a day where I knew that that could all be reversed. Today was a day where we could actually be a part of the, you know, climate change again and, and all the things that we have been just suffering from for the past four years. So it was a big relief. And the anger came from just the senseless acts, right? The anger came from like the lives that we've lost. People keep saying, oh, we made it through 2020 and we've made it through these four years. But at the same time, there were so many people that didn't, right? So many things that happened on our borders that happened in our country that I'm not proud of. And you know, all of us tried in our own ways to try to fight, but it wasn't enough. And, you know, at the time, but now that we're on the other side of it, you know, there's, I'm glad that we can at least have a leader that leads with empathy. Yeah. You know, many of the organizations I've spoken to and individuals that are run for local office give credit to Trump for getting involved. Would you put yourself in, in that category? I think it woke people up because people became complacent, right? They were just accepting things that were happening to them. I mean, even now uh, with local politics, we see it, right? People are like, oh, I'm just so tired. I don't want to hear about the election. I don't want, what are you talking about? I just voted. Like, why is there another election? And so we have woken people up in the sense that like, it is possible. Anything is possible, right? People didn't think Trump could be president and he made the impossible possible. And I think that like everything that he's been doing has reinforced that it is necessary for us to stay engaged, that politics does matter. And I always argue the point that like local politics matters even more because take, for example, city council, which is the seat that I'm running for. What's the number one thing that city council people do is managing a budget. And people tend to forget that. And where we heard more about management of budget was when you know, the aftermath of George Floyd's death, where there were, you know, hundreds of protests, thousands of protests throughout the country, and you kept hearing defund the police. And, you know, people keep getting upset when we when people say defund the police, yet we've been defunding everything else in our in our in our programs, right? We've forgotten to reinvest in community centers or education or transportation. So it's interesting to like finally see that people are waking up, but even after this election, I think people are exhausted. And so now we have to kind of bridge that gap or that cycle of like, listen, this year, 
2021 is going to be huge for New York. We're going to elect over 30, I think it's about 35 new city council members. There's 51 in New York, and we're going to be electing 35. That's wow. huge. And we're going to be electing a new mayor, you know, like who's going to set precedent of what the future of the city will look like. So it is really important that we, you know, remember that we're exhausted. And in that exhaustion, remember to like step up and, you know, think about what's happening locally and what else we need to be doing. Talk about what district are you running in and what neighborhoods does that cover? Yeah, so I'm running in District 24, um, which is where I grew up. And it is, let's see, it's a lot. So it's it's Kew Garden Hills, it's Pominock, it's Electchester, it's Fresh Meadows, Hillcrest, Jamaica Estates, Briarwood, um, Parkway okay. Village. <laughs> it's a lot. Gotcha, gotcha. And uh, what you you talked about a little bit about what city council does, but what made you specifically run for that local um, role and not not some of these other local positions? Well, I mean, District 24 is where I grew up. I was born here. I grew up here. And it's home. It's what I understand. I'm raising my kids here. And so the big one of the biggest things that, you know, for me that like made me want to do this was I'm facing some of the same exact challenges that my parents were facing 30 years ago. You know, my parents were new Americans, came to this country in 76. My dad came in 76, my mom after they got married in 81. And you know, like transportation is not accessible. Housing is expensive um, and unaffordable. And affordable housing basically doesn't exist. Education is a huge problem, right? Like I spent two hours um, traveling from this district to Brooklyn Tech just to get to a good high school. I want people to like think about that. The fact that I live in a city where schools are near me, but I had to travel two hours just to get to a school that my parents and family felt was good enough be able to send me, right? Like, and I think that that's crazy. The fact that in these last, you know, 20 years since I've graduated, that we don't have schools that are good enough for kids to actually go to. We have one, you know, school, which is Townsend Harris, which is extremely competitive to get into. But instead of concentrating on just these few schools, why don't we create more? Why don't we change the way the system is? Why don't we invest in education? There is money in the DOE. How do we make sure that it's not being misallocated? How do we make sure that we think about diversity and inclusion? My son goes to the school that I went to, PS201, up the block, and the student body is very diverse. You know, there's a good group of black and brown students, but the teachers are not. You know, what are we teaching our kids that their sense of authority, like, they, you know, I, I believe in you can't be what you can't see, and he's not seeing himself in his teachers. He's not seeing a brown principal or, a, you know, a teacher, and, and that bothers me a lot. So I think when it comes down to, you know, one of my whys is I'm from here, born here, brought up here. I know the district really well. And then second, you know, I'm facing the same issues and that needs to change. We've been okay with the status quo and that's not okay. Why city council though? Why why that particular role? Well, like, I mean, like I just said, right? Like it's going to be a huge impact in New York. And if we've seen how COVID has affected New York in this past year, it's been crazy, right? Like on all levels, we've just seen how people have lost their jobs, they're losing their homes, they're growing food insecure. Um, you know, education is is just inaccessible. Like, you know, you have so many families that are doing remote learning and yet they don't have access to technology or Wi-Fi, just basic things. And city mm-hmm. council has a huge impact on that. So when I think about running for office, you have to think about the impact you want to create and what value you want to drive to your community. 
And through city council, by, you know, looking at the budget, I can actually help bring in money that will put money into the resources that we need. And it directly impacts our community. So I think for me, that's been really important is finding a place where I know I can create real value immediately. So you're not Bengali, obviously, but uh, you're, you're from India, I'm assuming. In, in Bangladesh, and, and tell me if this is the case in India, I think politics has a negative connotation. I think it's considered to be a dirty profession or, you know, it's a profession in Bangladesh. Uh, it's a profession where you're susceptible to bribes and you know, sometimes violence, things like that. So I think a lot of parents and Bengali parents see politics as, um, you know, not one of the preferred professions. Uh, wh- what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on on that, and also, what were your your parents' reaction for you, you know, wanting to enter politics? Yeah, I mean, I don't think my parents were surprised. I mean, there is that connotation even in India because, I mean, let's get real. Look at the current political climate in India; it's extremely yeah. corrupt and dangerous. And by all means, it's just it's frustrating to watch what's happening there. But my but my parents know not to compare. I mean, not that there isn't corruption here. But the comparison of what I want to do versus what's happening in India and or in Bangladesh, I think, um, is a little different for them. And they weren't surprised mostly because I did work in politics in college. So my freshman year of college, I was a political science and business major. I double majored at Stony Brook. And I worked on my first campaign after freshman year because I kept thinking about, like, what is the internship that I want to do? And I knew the mayoral race was going to be big. And I knew that I wanted to learn more about politics and I wanted to learn about politics in action. And one of the best places to do that is get an internship on a campaign where you're meeting people from all walks of life. And so 2005, I worked on my first campaign for Fernando Ferrer, who was running for mayor. And I met the most incredible people from all walks of life. And it's interesting because I spent the next four years working in politics but ended up starting a company um, after college instead of actually staying in politics. So to go back to your question, my parents weren't surprised because they saw me so invested in the candidates that I was working with. And if it wasn't for the candidates, it was the people that I met that really truly made me believe in the democratic process. And you learn so much on a campaign. Like there's nothing that you won't be able to, you know, pick up when you're working on one, right? There's a finance team, there's if you think about it, there's marketing because you have to market the client, I mean, the, the, the candidate. And all of these things were so interesting and really led me to actually start a company almost because I the skill sets that I learned on a campaign was what led me to start my first company. And uh, so, yeah, so my parents were excited because they knew that this is something that I'd wanted to do for a while, um, but just wasn't sure when to take the right step. And the leadership skills, right? I'm sure you attained a lot of leadership skills starting that company. Did a lot of the people that worked with you at the startup follow you to your campaign? Um, So not from the startup, but from the campaign world. So people that I met in 2005 are working with me now, um, helping me do policy research, helping me do communications, helping me just do the work that needs to be done, right? Looking at the, the data of voters and how voters are how they're voting and what they're spending their time on caring about. So um, it's been interesting, right? It feels like almost full circle to to have worked as an intern in college to now have these people believe in me so much that they're working with me now. Um, wow. So it's kind of cool to, to have that relationship. And, and that's something that's always been important to me is relationships come first and getting to know people and understanding who they are as individuals. 
And I kept in touch with these people just because I didn't work in politics doesn't mean that I can't speak with them, connect with them, collaborate with them. Um, and so it's nice to see that full circle happen now. So your race is a, it's a crowded race. I, I was shocked to see the number of people running. And it's great to see a lot of South Asians running, but it's such a crowded race. How do you differentiate yourself? Well, I think it's clear for me, you know, I'm a small business owner, right? I started my first company called Food to Eat, which is a corporate catering service where we partner with immigrant women, minority-owned restaurants to help them book catering jobs at corporate offices, right? So we were feeding companies like uh, Warby Parker, Microsoft, The Skin. And I think my skill set as a business owner is really important, right? Um, and it really separates me. When you think about what you have to do as a city council member is manage a budget. And I did that for my company, right? And I did that not just for my first, but also my second. Um, and I was successful at it, right? I was able to employ people. I was able to grow, scale, add to the bottom line of small business owners that I was working with. And similarly, I think that when you think about who do we want as our elected officials, you don't want just the career politician, someone that just wants to stay in this field for the next 40, 50 years. I mean, you want someone who's going to be committed in long-term for this community, but on all levels. And diversity is really important to me, right? Not just by race, gender, and ethnicity, but also by your experiences. We don't have many small business owners in city council, and yet they're the ones that are legislating for us. So how can we have zero representation on that front and yet expect there to be a, you know, a miracle when we think about you know, what's going to happen to small businesses after this pandemic, right? I mean, we have to think about how small businesses are literally disappearing and for me, it's important to think about that on a level of bringing people that have actually had experience in managing a budget, have had experience in working with small businesses and creating new opportunities for them. So I differentiate myself, you know, on, you know, simply just being a small business owner, um, having, you know, uh, started to also, you know, being a parent who is a young parent that's actually putting her kids through the public school system. Um, I'm experiencing it right now. My, my four-year-old is learning, you know, his first day of school picture was in front of an iPad and mine was in front of the actor's mm -hmm. school. And it's mm -hmm. wild, right? To think that that's the world we're in. But I think that these are the things that are essential. Um, you know, sitting on the PTA, listening to what parents are going through. All of these things differentiate me and, you know, make me a candidate that can actually think about the issues that our community is going through today and help rebuild um, for a better New York. Yeah, like, so one thing about diversity, you know, you mentioned, I, I think one thing about diversity I think is really important is not the common diversity categories you can think of, it's diversity of thought. And I think Biden talked about it a little bit. You know, I think he talked about, you know, bringing people that are Republican and independents to, you know, to his campaign. I think that that's important. How do you, how do you, I guess, think about drawing people that aren't necessarily um, Democrats or have a lot of the same minds, you know, viewpoints that you have on specific topics um, to your campaign? Like, how, how, how do you think, how do you go about doing that? Because I'm just thinking about some of the neighborhoods, Kew Gardens Hills, I used to live in Kew Gardens, so you probably have some conservatives in that, in that area and some of the others you said. How do you go about bringing them to, you know, to your campaign? Have a conversation. I have been on the phone, phone banking with everybody. Like it's literally the first thing that I've done is having conversations with as many people, meeting them where they are, right? Going to their communities and not shying away because they don't see eye to eye on what I believe in, right? So I think the first thing is, and I did this when I started my first company, 
and did it with the second and did it with our campaign is going, meeting people where they are, talking to them, listening to them and understanding them. And then taking it from there, understanding like what it is that they are looking for. Because at the end of the day, being an elected official is not about press, glamour, and Twitter feeds, you know? It's about actually, it's about constituent services. People forget that. Like if someone's having a problem with their garbage pickup, it's our job and it's our office's job to make sure that we we take care of it. If during Hurricane Sandy, a tree was, you know, a tree fell down on top of their house, it's our job to make sure that the FDA NY comes and helps them out and protects them and keeps them safe. So at the end of the day, we have to remember it's not always about seeing eye to eye with, you know, um, on all of our ideologies, but also understanding that constituent services come first, that you have to go listen, you have to understand, you have to empathize and lead from there. So for me, the most important thing is showing up, listening, understanding the community, and not just coming in with my you know, preconceived notions of what I believe the world should look like. Because that's yeah. not right. So I take a meeting with everyone, no matter yeah, how yeah. liberal or how conservative, take a meeting with everyone, talk to everyone, reach out, and then take it from there. Yeah, I think that's a great way to look at it. Because not everyone's going to have the exact same viewpoints. I think Trump's a great example of somebody that's as far extreme, and I don't even know what his... I don't even know where he... <laughs> where he gets his you know viewpoints from um, because no. he grew up in Queens. But I think that generally, and I say this to people all the time, like AOC is a perfect example. I, there's actually some policies I don't disagree with her at all. I feel like they wouldn't be effective. But I think generally, you know, she, she's intelligent. She's energetic. I mean, what else can you ask for? Even if, it, if there's a policy that I don't, you know, I don't agree with, I know that she intends well and, and that she's going to fight for you know, the her, 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 the people in her district. I think that's more important than, you know, whether you align 100% with what is, mm-hmm. you know, policies. So uh, specific specific to that, I wanted to get your thoughts on some policies that have been kind of on top of mind for a lot of people, maybe not in your district, but certainly in New York. So, you know, Amazon, for example, I used to live in Long Island City. I wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, their initial plans to come to Long Island City. And then now it seems like they're still coming back, but not the way they initially planned. What are your thoughts on Amazon coming to New York? Yeah, I mean, as someone that's worked in the tech sector, it's complicated, right? Because you always want to think, and as someone who's a business owner, right? Like, you always think about jobs first. And of course, it would be great to have all these jobs. And I think the approach that I take is you have to listen to your community. You have to understand how it's going to impact the community. And you have to understand, you know, what kinds of jobs is that actually bringing in? Is it bringing in just jobs for the next year? Or is it going to bring jobs for the next 10, 12, 20 years? Like, what are the future plans of any company that wants to come into New York City and develop, right? We need to make sure that we're putting people over profit. We need to make sure that we're not displacing and constantly gentrifying neighborhoods. I mean, I grew up in this district and I'm pretty sure, like, not even pretty sure, like, I am constantly having a conversation with my husband about whether we can afford a two bedroom and our childcare at the same time. So these are stories of real New Yorkers that are that, and this is mine, right? This is my story that I'm having a conversation with my husband about. But this is happening constantly. I was talking to, you know, a janitor um, at a building the other day, and he was saying how, you know, he's constantly just like in the last thirty years, he's just constantly had to move further and further out from where he used to live. So he started, you know, he works in Manhattan, 
and lived in um, the Bronx. Probably, I think he had like a 25 minute train ride. And that 25 minute train ride in the last 30 years has moved to at least like 40, 50, 60, where he's now pretty much in Yonkers and like probably beyond, right? Like, which isn't even New York City anymore. And that's frustrating. So I don't want to bring, you know, development is very necessary for, for economic, you know, for just like local economy. But at the same time, again, we have to make sure we're not displacing our community members. So the way I think about any new development is one is create racial impact reports, which is something that um, public advocate Jumani Williams has been talking about. And it's taking a look at how any development is going to impact your community. Um, And then also an environmental report, right? We have to think about climate change. The two things that are really important is economic and uh, racial. We have to make sure that we're looking at these reports, seeing how they're going to impact the community. And then it's also, what are the job creations going to look like? Are they going to be good union jobs with benefits? And are they going to be jobs that we're going to have for the next 10, 20, 30 years? We have to look at the long-term effect of any development in New York. Because again, what's happened with climate change is our elected officials were thinking about short-term as opposed to long-term effects of certain rules and legislation that they were inputting. And look at where we're at now. We could literally have no planet. My children will have no place to live if we don't actually act now. And if we yeah. keep electing members like Donald Trump, we're, we're going to be gone. So to me, things like Amazon, we have to look at it on all levels. We shouldn't be very quick to shut things out, but we should also understand the impact of what, what will happen. Um, I know lots of people are frustrated because they think that it would have ha- we would have had so many jobs right now. But we also have to protect our workers and make sure that these companies are practicing safe working conditions and not exploiting our you know, not exploiting workers in any shape or form. Yeah, I, I think the first thing you said is that it's a, it's complicated, and I, I think that's very true. It's a gray area. I think just, you know, going, um, you know, saying 100% either way you're for or against, I think is not being, um, it's disingenuous because it's very complicated. There's sides, there's, you know, both sides can have an, have an argument. But at the same time, I, I, I have to say, I was uh, definitely not, so, I was someone that was, uh, for Amazon coming, and then a number of people I spoke to have said, you know, told me at the time that, listen, they're they're gonna come, they're gonna come here anyway, and they were right, and I was wrong. It's because they're actually still bringing a lot of the jobs in Manhattan, just not in the LIC area. So yeah. it sounds like uh, it sounds like even though we didn't give them the city didn't give them all the, you know, all the perks uh, that they were asking for, they still are creating jobs here. But, but I do think with that particular deal that there wasn't a real conversation. I think that there were too many, it was too political too, right? Like mm. between the governor yeah. and the mayor and like, we didn't, like the city didn't even know that they weren't going to come anymore. They found out through a news article. So I think mm-hmm. the conversation wasn't actually transparent. I don't think mm-hmm. that people were being real about what they wanted. I don't think that people were being transparent and it was frankly a little BS. <laughs> so. Yeah. I think that we need to make sure that our leaders are coming together, listening to, because I think good does come from public-private partnerships. Um, but again, at what cost? And making sure that we're not losing jobs um, yeah. because we need to employ people. If anything, we've seen in this pandemic that people have lost their jobs, going, you know, losing their homes and then going food insecure, which is why like every day I'm at a food pantry, the lines are the same. They're, they're never getting shorter. They're actually just constantly growing. So we have to think about what the future of development looks like in this city. We have to think about creating jobs and we have to make sure we're protecting our workers all at the same time. Yeah. And Mike, 
my perspective on the Amazon deals, uh, it stemmed from a, number, from a number of things. Obviously, being in finance and tech, understanding that, uh, not tech, but finance, understanding that when a company joins, it's not just the jobs that they create. There's also so many third parties that they use, right? Amazon coming in would bring in so many third parties, vendors in the area also. So those would create jobs. Like and also, I remember... Like delivery companies. Like delivery, yeah, that. that Exactly. local delivery and logistics companies. Exactly, exactly. I mean, and I, I specifically, there was a Bengali Mexican fusion restaurant in Long Island City. I remember speaking to the owners called Decibel in Long Island City. They were my neighbors and they shut down because they actually were really relying on the Amazon coming to the neighborhood, but they had shut down. So, I mean, there's so many, so many but again, I, I think the main thing is, and it's no right or wrong, I think the, it's complicated. And like you said, a lot of these analysis has to be done and, and it needs to be thought of. Another thing that you talked about, which is housing, I mean, super important. I think it's, I mean, it's ridiculous how expensive New York is, right? And my rent would probably get me a mansion in, in like, two mansions in Cleveland, right? And so one thing that I know the city tried two years ago, um, I think it's they started in some neighborhoods in Brooklyn, is allowing basements uh, to be legal uh, with certain, certain criteria. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that because I think it's really important for a lot of, you know, that would create, so I want to get your thoughts on that, you know, because that would have significant impact of, uh, and create thousands of new, you know, legal apartments in, in the in the borough. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on that? I mean, as long as those apartments are, like, legally, like, kept and the landlords are being kept in check and, you know, they have windows, it's a humane yeah. place to live, like, absolutely, right? And it's also an extra form of income for homeowners yeah. like small homeowners that are already like struggling to pay their mortgages so exactly yeah you know it's 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 something that i think is helpful as people continue to think about like what income looks like for them what you know how do we help generate you know wealth for certain communities so you know i, I see again i don't see anything wrong with basement apartments as long as they're humane they have like good lighting space and, and all that kind of stuff but in general when you think about housing and affordability i think that we don't actually have affordable housing in New York. Like there are family, like I have friends that are making a combined six figure salary and yet have no pathway in their mind to buy a home because the quality of life, like what you're spending your money on, right? Sometimes they're going out to eat or this. And I keep thinking about like, everybody wants a good quality of life. Everybody wants to enjoy nice things. Like we shouldn't always depend on just the bare necessities and struggle and never enjoy life to then have a home, like to buy a home, right? I hate this like mentality of like, you can't enjoy, you have to struggle, spend zero dollars for like five, six years. Immigrant mindset, yeah. Exactly, and that shouldn't be the case, right? We should actually, again, create pathways for home ownership. And, you know, again, it goes back to developers, right? How are they, when they come in and develop and they create all these beautiful luxury buildings, they'll they'll say 10% of these uh, houses are going to be affordable. First of all, that's not enough. Second of all, what the city does something called AMI, average median income, right? So the average median income in Flushing, Queens is, this, is being calculated as the same as Midtown Manhattan. And that mm. doesn't, make, doesn't make any sense to me, right? So we need to look at this, the basic structure of how we're creating, like what how the systems are created such that they define what uh, affordable housing even means. And mm. so that should be calculated based off of each area by what people are making in that specific part of the city, as opposed to the same across the entire city, right? Like that's another thing that I think can and should change. And these are things that like, you know, people know, these aren't some new things that I'm talking about. 
These are things that we can actually implement, but you need a council that is going to be forward thinking enough to actually demand these changes so that people can actually buy homes. And they're not living in one bedroom apartments with two children or three children in so many cases and not allowing these kids to have their own rooms and have their own social development, right? Like it's important, but yet how many families are literally living in one bedroom apartments with two, three kids? It's not okay. It's become a norm in New York, but it shouldn't be. Yeah. Um, you're right. Some of the charts of those luxury buildings that you're talking about, I used to live in one in Long Island City, but I remember seeing some of the charts that they have and they show average income and it, it definitely is not, is not in sync with reality. No, not um, at all. Um, what are some other topics that are important for you that we didn't talk about that you want people to know about? Um, I think, you know, transportation is really important in making the district more accessible. I grew up in a part of the district where there's no train line. So I had to take, um, you know, literally a 20 minute bus ride to the right or to the left to basically get Mm. to a train. And I think that like, you know, we need to create and think about you know, what's happening um, in Union Square and the busways that, you know, were created there to create more open streets. You know, there have been a lot of arguments where people are saying, oh, you know, if you create busways, it'll stop small businesses from actually, because people won't park their cars there. So, Mm. um, you know, the small businesses are going to lose. But if you look at a lot of studies of what's been happening in, you know, in Madrid and, and in other cities in Spain, they've actually been expanding busways or expanding open street programs And you can see that people are walking more. People are spending more time in certain areas. It's like a nice communal area. So in in our district, there's two areas in which there are big, um, you know, train hubs. And, you know, there's a lot of resistance on, you know, opening up those busways. So I think transportation is one of those things because it's a pathway to the rest of the city. Transportation is a pathway to be able to take your kids to see the rest of the city, to the arts, to different culture, to museums. And if we don't actually make it accessible, we're telling people that your only, you know, um, enjoyment of the city is like your five blocks, wherever you can walk. But if you make it so hard to get up and down in a train station with, with you know, for a mom who's in a, or a parent who has a stroller, that's not making transportation accessible, right? So one is creating busways. So you have, you, you up the frequency of buses and you make it faster for buses to go from point A to point B. The other is making sure that people with disabilities and parents that are with strollers, you make train stations more accessible so that like they're not having to carry, um, you know, a stroller up the stairs, which is dangerous, right? It could Mm -hmm. hurt the child, it could hurt the parent, all those things. So we have to think about accessibility when it comes to transportation, because again, it's a mode to and a pathway to so many um, things that people would need. But I have a question for you, actually, you know, because obviously people can go to my website and learn more about what issues are important to me. What's important to you? Like, as you know, as you think about what New York City has gone through in this last year, what's important to you to see a city council member that would be running in your district to do? Oh, wow. I wasn't prepared for this. I mean, I think, look, I think everything you said, um, I'm fortunate that uh, I uh, am an industry that uh, pays well. So, uh, you know, affordable housing isn't. A, a huge concern of mine, but listen, I grew up in a one bedroom with me and my brother, you know, sleeping in the bedroom in one bed, in the living room in one, one bed. So I know how that's like. So I can't even imagine. I think about what my parents made total in a year, the highest income they ever made total in a year. And I, I, I can't, I can't, I don't even know how they survived. I don't even know how we survived. I can't, 
you know, if I if I think about living on what my parents lived on, I, I literally I could not even think about doing that. So, you know, I so I'm I'm really conscious of that when I hear about the rents that some of these people pay working in the in the jobs that they work. I mean, it's impossible. Like it's 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 ridiculous. And you're absolutely right. Some of the affordable housing, quote unquote, affordable housing, isn't really affordable housing. I think that that is. Certainly, I mean, one of the biggest issues of New York. And I hate that. Hey, I do hate that. Um, and I'll, to be honest with you, one of the reasons my, my parents live in Atlanta now, um, one of the reasons they left was that, you know, we we left Brooklyn because Staten Island, we left Brooklyn to go to Staten Island because Staten Island was a little bit cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Staten Island even got expensive. So they actually left and they live, they live in Atlanta. So that's something that, you know, I'm very conscious of is affordable, is, uh, is affordable housing. Um, and especially... I mean, you know, people come from Bangladesh, let's say, you know, brand new to this country. I mean, they literally have to live in a room with eight other people. It's, just, it's not a, it's not, it's not humane the way that some I've seen people live. I mean, so certainly, you know, that's definitely a um, concern of mine. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it, you know, it's something that unless you're facing it, you don't think about. And that's why you need, you know, you need people in, in office that are going to be thinking about these things all the time. And just because you're not experiencing it doesn't mean you can't be empathetic towards it either. Yeah. I think it's important to have our experiences, bring them to the table as we lead or, you know, as we want to become elected officials. But also it's it's also important to constantly ask questions. And like you said, you weren't prepared, but it's important, right? Just because you don't live in my district doesn't mean what you feel as a New York City resident isn't important, right? Because at the end of the day, we're a community together and we have to think about how we come together to create a more equitable Queens, a more equitable New York, a place where everyone has a decent quality of life and isn't, you know, living paycheck to paycheck and isn't constantly worried about where they're going to, you know, how they're going to feed their kids tomorrow. Like that's a very scary like experience, right? This last year I spent literally since March uh, 13th, we were raising, my company pivoted and we raised over $130,000 in eight weeks. We took wow. that money and we're buying meals from, you know, um, from the, the food vendors that we were working with that were still open, making sure that they were, you know, black and brown restaurants because we knew that they were going to have it hardest to get access to the PPP loans. And then we were contributing to members of the community that were hurt. You know, we worked with domestic violence shelters. We worked with um, senior homes and then, you know, frontline workers in black and brown communities. And we're still doing the work, Right. It doesn't, I don't have to be an elected official to help my community members. All I have to do is the work because I know that people are hurting and I have the network where I have the logistics behind how to actually distribute food. And so we took the skill set we had. And so this is to say to everyone listening that you don't have to be an elected official to, to help. You can do things for your community. If you notice something happening, if you see someone hurting, all it takes is asking them the question, like, what's going on? How can I help you? And, and yet that's another way to actually be a part of different communities, right? Like in District 24, you have communities from all different faiths and backgrounds. And what did I do? I took our work of food insecurity and went to each one of those food pantries. You know, I went to the masjids, I went to the community centers, I went to, um, you know, the temples and the, the synagogues and asked, like, where, where do you need help? And everyone said, there are so many members that are suffering and need food. 
So if you can provide meals, if you can help us out, that's what I've been doing. And that's where I've been focusing my time. And I think that's an easy thing that all of us can do is if you can't, you know, raise the money to contribute, then you can, you know, you can go volunteer. You can go ask the questions of like, what can, what can I do for you and how can I help you? Are you going to dissolve your participation in your companies if you uh, win city council? Uh, well, so I don't have to as I'm running, but I will eventually if I become an elected official. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So creating um, creating a pathway to to make sure that they can run on their own. Okay, great. Well, um, what are some key dates people should should be aware of? So February second is the ele- uh, the election day. Um, so make sure that if you live in District 24 in the areas that I mentioned, um, February 2nd is election day where you can go vote in person. But we also have early voting. Um, early voting starts on January 23rd. And uh, you'll be able to vote in Queens College, in York College, and Queensborough Hall. So um, you can also go to our website at deepd4newyork.com where we've listed um, how you can find your polling site, how you can find, uh, how you can uh, apply for an absentee ballot. So we have all of the information up there as well. Um, but February 2nd is our election date. And if you don't listen, um, sorry, if you don't live in this district and are listening, um, please make sure to look up, you know, who your city council member is, when your election is, because there might be a special in yours. Otherwise, the regular primary will be in June. So. Okay. You know, even if I win or if I lose, I will still have to run in June because this term is just to finish the term of the city council member who resigned to go work for Governor Cuomo. So what's the benefit of running now? Why not just wait till run in June? I mean, I'm the newest candidate. I have to make okay. sure that I'm being seen, I'm being heard. And, you know, I think it's a good opportunity to get my name out there and, and keep continuing to talk to community members. Got it. Understood. Understand. Um, well, it's great talking to you. Uh, we have so many people that we that we have in com- we have in common, and I've heard great things about you. So I'm glad to finally have met you, and um, best of luck on the campaign. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. All over the world, uh, it's the bony show. Uh, hey, can you handle this? Representing the boroughs where the bangles live from the slave.